LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Before we jump into Ask Me Anything for today, I want to tell you about a company named Belay. You know, no matter how many people that you have on staff at your church, whether there's a few or a lot, there's only so much that you can accomplish in a day, right? Your church exists to serve your community. So the mission of your church and its staff is to reach as many people as you can. That's why productivity is not just a, a business practice. It's essential. It's essential in, in being the best steward of your time that you can be and to use the most of your church's resources in being successful in the things God has called you to. Thankfully, our friends at Belay know this really well. Belay, an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, has successfully matched thousands of organizations with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. You, you thought, you know, I, I need somebody, but just not, not, not for the whole time. Well, they're your partner for this. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Church Leaders, Essential Strategies to Unleash Productivity. Let Belay help your church live its mission in your community by helping you juggle less and accomplish more. Just go to Belay, that's B-E-L-A-Y, solutions.com slash Lifeway for your free download. And now I hope you enjoy Ask Me Anything. everybody welcome to ask me anything i'm matt love and like i said last week we're in the middle of a very special series of episodes uh, uh, just a, a long conversation that pastor jd had with an author and, and teacher rebecca mclaughlin that we've just split up into a few different episodes um, rebecca is an amazing author and teacher she's written a few books confronting christianity 12 hard questions for the world's ro- largest religion she also wrote 10 questions every teen should ask and answer about christianity And she just wrote a new book called The Secular Creed, Engaging Five Contemporary Claims. They're all excellent. She's amazing. She spoke to our staff actually a few weeks ago, and it was excellent. And so this was, like I said, recorded as a long-form conversation. We've split it up into four questions. And today, Pastor JD and Rebecca are going to talk a little bit about some of the areas where we may have been more shaped by our culture than by Scripture, specifically diving into racism and homosexuality. So this is going to be really, really interesting. Rebecca has a lot of wisdom to share with us today, as well as pieces of her own story that you don't want to miss towards the end. So without further ado, let's hop back into this conversation. So Rebecca, one of the things we hear about um, is being on the right side of history. And tragically, we look back in... um, church history in, in the United States, and we see that the church was on, not, I don't want to say the wrong side of history, but the wrong side of scripture when it came to racial discussions. But you hear that now applied to the transgender and the LGBTQ plus revolutions mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. How would you counsel Christians in just this perception of, hey, we weren't saying what we should be saying in the, in the civil rights movement, and that's the same thing happening yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first, as you point out, the the problem with white Christian segregationists in the 60s and, and before wasn't that they were on the wrong side of history. It was that they were on the wrong side of the scriptures. Their, their problem was that not that they were being too biblical, but that they weren't being half biblical enough. And I think that's created real problems f- for us here today, both in terms of the, the direct injustice that that has caused in American history, 
with um, you know white evangelicals using the Bible to justify their racism. But it's also actually contributed to the situation we find ourselves in now, where folks will say the gay rights movement is the new civil rights movement. And just as the, the 60s segregationists used the, the Bible to justify their racism, um, to oppose the integration of schools, to oppose mixed race marriages, et cetera, et cetera. So Christians today are using the Bible to justify their homophobia. This is sort of the, the logic. And I can understand why people think that because we, we are, we're rightly ashamed of the 60s segregationists. But given that their problem wasn't that they were being too biblical, but that they weren't being biblical enough, I think actually our, our problem now is that, that we need to not fall into the, the same mistake. Um, the reality is you have to do as much careful editing of the Bible to make it justify slavery, segregation, and the, the kind of racial prejudice that it's sometimes been used to justify in American history as you do to say that the Bible today affirms gay marriage for believers. And one of the things that's always fascinating to me is, as we think even of that language of being on the wrong side of history, when it comes to us from friends who are not Christians and perhaps don't believe in God at all, I kind of want to ask, like, why do you think there's this big story of history? Uh, why do you think that there is this, this story in which more and more justice is, is being rolled out over time? If there is no God who made us, if there is no God who, who is in any way supervising history, there's no story to be on the wrong side of. We're just atoms and molecules at the end of the day. And there's actually also no real foundation for justice and for the the kinds of um, pursuit of human equality that we're, we're seeing today. It's, it's fascinating to me recently reading a, a couple of non-Christian historians who've, who've written about Christianity being truly the foundation of our, our basic moral beliefs today. You know, the Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's not a self-evident truth. That's a specifically Christian belief. Hmm. And it's a belief on which folks on all sides of questions and conversations around gender and sexuality are sort of counting on that shared foundation that, that actually all humans are equally um, morally valuable, that the, the oppressed and marginalized should be cared for and not just sort of trampled on by the majority. Those actually have come to us from Christianity historically. And without Christianity, we don't have any real moral foundation for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, up in the Bible Museum, up in Washington, D.C., there's an exhibit, fascinating exhibit, that has, it, they called it the Slave Owner's Bible. Mm-hmm. And it was a Bible that they gave to the slaves to read that had the parts in it about salvation, but didn't have anything in it that would contribute to the freedom, the equality of all people. And it really is kind of a sense in which the Christians in those days were more shaped by their culture than they were the scripture because they had to overlook large parts of the scripture in order to be able to justify slavery and segregation. And really, almost ironically, that's in some ways the same thing, and I'm assuming you would agree with this, that's happening today when it comes to some of these discussions about sexuality is that a lot of Christians are more shaped by our culture yeah. and just sort of the moment than they are what the Bible says that is, is counterculture. And we might be guilty of, of not being like our ancestors in teaching what the Bible teaches about mm-hmm. sexuality, but in actually caving to the culture and what it has to say about sexuality. So assuming you, you know, uh, uh, agree with that, um, my question for you is, is where else do you see the church doing that? Where mm-hmm. else do you see us being more shaped by our culture than, than by our Bibles? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think I see that both inside the church 
and outside of the church. So I think there are ways in which we can sometimes be more shaped by church culture than by the Bible. Hmm. And there are other ways in which we're more shaped by kind of culture out there than by the Bible. And I think we need to come back to the scriptures on, on all of these questions. So as you, as you mentioned, there was a, a very careful kind of editing process done to make it at all safe to put Bibles into the hands of enslaved people and for them not to realize that actually what was being done to them was profoundly against what the Bible was teaching. Mm. And likewise today, we have to do real violence to the text to say that the Bible affirms um, gay marriage for Christians or that it affirms transgender identities actually as well. I think what we need to do is to, to actually reclaim the whole of the scriptures and to see the connective tissue between these various issues within the scriptures. And what I mean by that is, if Jesus calls us to be one body together with other Christians in church, if he calls us to love across racial and ethnic difference, if he calls us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in ways that are profound and transformative, which, which he does, then I think that has, has implications for questions around race and for questions around gender and sexuality. And I think too often what we've done is we've sort of taken some pieces of the scriptures on these questions and, and ignored others. So, so we haven't reckoned with the, the racist history of, of much of our Christian tradition here, at least as, as, as white Christians, and we need to look back to the scriptures and repent of that. And we haven't reckoned with the ways that we've, we've actually used the scriptures sometimes to justify hatred and animosity and judgmentalism towards people who, are, who would identify as LGBT. Um, which is not what the Bible calls us to. We're called to love even our enemies, let alone folks outside the church who, who may have made different um, decisions about um, how they proceed sexually than we do. And so I think we need to recognize that, that both within and outside the church, we're, we're vulnerable to not actually applying the scriptures and instead being shaped by what's going on around us. And I think when we, we really do go back to the scriptures, we find uh, a profound pursuit of, of love uh, I think we find very clear boundaries around sex, but I think we see that whereas culture would say to us, you know, love is love, I think the Bible says to us that God is love and that we we get little glimpses and echoes of his love in different kinds of human relationships, a little bit like the, the spokes on a wheel. Uh, we get glimpses of Jesus's love in the best of human fathers, which is why God calls himself our father. It's, he's He's woven into our existence the, the possibility of, of fatherhood as a picture of his love for us we, we get a glimpse of jesus love for us in the best of human marriages like the best husband gives us a little glimpse of jesus love for us we get glimpses of jesus love in the best friendship perhaps between two men or between two women within the church um we get glimpses of, of jesus love as, as we think uh, as parents to our children or, or as we look up as children to our parents and so while rather than everything being reduced to sort of Love is love, therefore, uh, all kinds of relationships could be potentially sexual relationships. I think we need to recognize that, that God's given us this, this beautiful vision of a whole range of different sorts of relationships that can give us real insight into his love for us. Yeah, one of the things I remember you saying in your book is that while we as Christians believe the Bible teaches that same-sex romance, same-sex marriage is, is wrong, we are pro-same-sex friendship. And we believe that those non-romantic, non-sexual um, friendships between people of the same sex is an essential part of the of the Christian experience. And even you know, singleness is something that can give us a, a, a taste of the beauty of God's family. Mm -hmm. You, you want to talk about that for a minute? 
Yeah, I think honestly, this is one of the, the primary ways that we really need to go back to the scriptures because too often we have celebrated Christian marriage at the expense of Christian singleness. Now, Christian marriage is a wonderful thing. Um, Paul writes so beautifully about Christian marriage as being this, this little picture of Jesus's love for his church. So he has an incredibly high view of Christian marriage. But he also, as a single man, has an even higher view of singleness. And I think often in, in church culture, we've acted like, well, marriage is really the ideal. And then there are some sort of unfortunate people who, for one reason or another, don't end up getting married. And that's okay, but it's not the best. And I think this can be particularly be a message that, that women in the church receive, that you know, your highest calling as a Christian woman is to be a, a wife and a mother. Now, I think the reason we say that is a, is a good reason that being a wife and a mother is a very high calling. Um, some of my, my smartest and, and most committed to Jesus friends stay full-time at home with their kids and honor God through what they're doing there. It's absolutely wonderful. But I think we need to reckon with the fact that the Bible also tells us that, that singleness is a, a wonderful way to live as a Christian and that single Christians shouldn't be sort of outside the family unit but they actually should be intrinsic to the family unit because in, in New Testament terms, the primary family unit is not the nuclear family, it's the local church. It's not just me and my husband and our three kids. It's actually God's gathered people together. And I think one of the ways in which we need to have a, a cultural change within our churches that will benefit married people, that will benefit single people, that will benefit same-sex attracted people, that will benefit um, heterosexual people who, who long for marriage and aren't married. Um, it will benefit those who've been widowed. It will benefit those who've, who've suffered divorce. All of these folks, basically all of us, whichever of those categories you're in, we will benefit if we try to reclaim what the New Testament calls us to. It gives us these, this picture of us as one body, not a whole bunch of different bodies, but one body together. It says we're like brothers and sisters. It says we're like comrades in arms. Um, Paul says he was among the Thessalonians like a nursing mother with her children. Uh, he calls his friend Anisimus his very heart. We need to reclaim the, the real intimacy that can occur and, and should occur between Christians that isn't sexual, isn't erotic, isn't romantic, but is, is nonetheless a, a place of real intimacy. When it comes to that issue of sexuality, that's very, I mean, one of the most poignant parts of confronting Christianity it was your own personal story in this, mm -hmm. how you reckoned with this and, and how you felt in the church. And if you're comfortable with it, as, co as comfortable as you are, I I'd love for you to just share some of that story and what that process was like of you understanding how the gospel spoke to you. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, as long as I can remember, I've been a follower of Jesus. And as long as I can remember, I've been attracted to women primarily rather than men. And so growing up, this was something, honestly, that I thought I, I would grow out of. I was like, oh, you know, this is probably a phase that I'm going through, not really sure what to make of it, but like hopefully something that I'll grow out of someday. Went off to college, thought, you know, this is the time I'm going to start being attracted to, to guys rather than girls. Uh, immediately found that that wasn't the case. <laughs> um, got into grad school. And at that point, I was like, OK, I can't really tell myself I'm just going to grow out, out of this anymore. I'm like kind of a proper grown up at this point. And for a long time, it just felt honestly like a a, a sad waste. Um, it was something of which I was ashamed, and it didn't seem to be doing anything useful in the world. The fact that uh, you know I'd find myself just falling in love with women and not with men. Um, I ended up, you know, somewhat to my surprise, uh, marrying a, a wonderful Christian man. Um, and whereas I'd been very open with him about my um, my struggles with same sex attraction. 
I hadn't actually talked about this to some of even one of my closest Christian friends. Um, so we moved over here 13 years ago. And even for several years after that, I wasn't talking with my friends. It was only after gay marriage was legalized across America in 2015. And I felt a real, just like burden on my heart for wanting a better articulation of the, the beautiful story of biblical sexual ethics to be told. And it, it seemed to me that often churches weren't actually doing a good job of, of telling that story. So folks were either saying, you know what, we're going to completely throw out what the Bible says uh, about same-sex sexuality and we're going to um, affirm same-sex sexual relationships. Or they were saying, you know what, we're kind of going to double down on a, a culture wars mentality um, and double down on the ways in which Christians have, have often, like, honestly acted sort of hatefully towards LGBT people. And it broke my heart to see this. And so I, I felt like I wanted to be a tiny little part of the public conversation here, but I hadn't even had those conversations with my closest Christian friends. And the reason that I hadn't was that I was afraid that if, if I was honest about my experiences of same-sex attraction, that my, my female friends would take just like a half step away from me. And, and that was a, a terrifying prospect for me as someone who um, you know, longs for that connection. And, and I think for all of us, whatever our, our struggles with sin are, we'll find that if, if our legitimate needs are not being met in healthy ways, that's often when we're sort of most tempted to reach for, for things that aren't, aren't healthy for us. Um, so I was, I was afraid of that, that sense of stepping half a step back. What I came to realize was that actually, by not talking about this issue for me, I was actually taking half a step back away from my friends. Hmm. I wasn't giving them an opportunity to, to meet me in this. I wasn't giving them an opportunity to, you know, to be my, my sisters, um, to, to be able to speak truth and love into my life. And I think one of Satan's best weapons against us is convincing each of us that whatever our struggle with sin is, that it's not something we can talk about to our close Christian friends. Thank you so much for joining us today. Check back next Monday for part three, next part of the conversation between Pastor JD and Rebecca McLaughlin. And we would recommend that in the meantime, while you're waiting for that to come out, go ahead and check out the Unseen Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast for young leaders that explores the unseen stories that have made them who they are. And they've recently interviewed leaders like Mike Kelsey, Michael Hyatt, Trevin Wax. Um, so just look up Unseen Leadership on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. Also, make sure if you want to hear anything else from Pastor JD or just want more content from Pastor JD, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can go to jdgreer.com. And if you like our podcast, we would love for you to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. That just helps other people learn more about it and hear about our podcast. And so we would definitely encourage you to do that. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't have to think about downloading these episodes every week. And we're really thankful that you guys listen, and we will see you next time on Ask Me Anything. <laughs>